0: Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. All right. Welcome to the Arctic tundra of Myrtle Beach. One of the really fun things about being in ministry that nobody really prepares you for is holiday meals with the family. Christmas, Thanksgiving, everybody gathers together, the food's ready, you circle up, and one by one, everybody just kind of looks at me. And at first they don't say anything, it's just this kind of like, well, are you going to pray or are we just going to stand here and starve till we turn on each other like Lord of the Flies? And then eventually there's the one family member that's a little hungrier than everybody else and they're like, you know what, I'm done, we waited this out for too long. Hey, do you want to pray? Because, you know, you're the professional. (laughs) I would, I just think that maybe you need the practice. Prayer is one of the most essential elements of our relationship with Jesus. In fact, you can't really have a relationship with Jesus without it. And yet, despite the fact that we can understand that it's important, that doesn't mean that we feel comfortable or confident in doing it, right? Anybody ever struggled with prayer, like knowing what to say or how to say it? Anybody feel that way but not raise your hand because you don't like raising your hand in public? It's one of the greatest tricks you could learn. If you've got a room of Christians and it's loud, you want to get it quiet real fast. Just asking, who wants to open us in prayer? And like magic, simultaneously, everybody notices that they have something on their shoe. <laughs> and as soon as somebody else offers to do it, they're all like, oh, I was gonna, but you got there. No, you go ahead. I'll get it next time. Because there's this weird sense of pressure and kind of intimidation that comes from praying in front of other people makes us nervous to do it. And you're sitting there going, wait a second, why are you talking about prayer? I'm confused. Isn't this a series about the Holy Spirit? Guys, it's a series about the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to be confused. That's the point. Okay, so in every, in every church, there's at least one person who's like life verse is God is not a God of disorder, and they're really not happy that I made that joke just now. Uh, so for the sake of their sanity, let me just clarify this. There's a difference between disorder and mystery. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit like the wind. You don't see where it's coming from. You don't see where it's going. You don't actually even see it. But what you see is the effects it leaves behind as it moves. That The Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is by nature elusive and mysterious. And he's like that because the Spirit of God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and he does not need your permission or approval. Because the Spirit of the living God does not work for you. He does not answer to you. He is not controlled by you. This is why we believe that people are healed by the Spirit of God, that God is still active, moving, and working in the world, and miraculous healings do occur. We absolutely believe in healing. What we don't believe in are faith healers what's the difference a faith healer claims to have the ability to wield or control when that healing happens as if the holy spirit works for him the theological there's a word for it i forget it how it's wrong that's that's what it is see the holy spirit is by nature mysterious as god is by nature in part mysterious and i'll tell you right now That's one of the primary reasons I believe in him. If I understood God fully, how he worked, what he was doing, if there was no mystery that he by nature could not be God, because an infinitely large, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent creator being cannot be smaller than my ability to comprehend. Church, never trust anyone who claims to have God all figured out. Because the simple act of making such an audacious and ridiculous claim is very clear evidence that they've never even met him. Because the fundamental truth of reality is that the lesser cannot truly understand the greater. And just as an ant is incapable of understanding the complexities of global economics so we are incapable of fully understanding an infinitely holy, infinitely good, infinitely powerful God. God reveals himself to us. He makes himself known to us. And we see in part in this life. And we know in part in this life. And the rest is mystery. And you're never really going to understand the Holy Spirit if you're not willing to embrace the mystery of God. There are so many things about him we go, aha, I don't know. Like, this is my best guess based on this, but it is in fact a large guess. We don't fully know. Now, there's danger that comes with that mystery. See, when there's mystery, it's easy for our understanding to be confused, distorted, and twisted. There's a lot of nonsense, a lot of superstition that surrounds the Holy Spirit, and there are two key errors that the church tends to make. Either they talk about the Holy Spirit not at all, or they talk about the Holy Spirit all the time and only. The way in which we avoid falling into the superstitions and the misunderstandings around the Holy Spirit is to root ourselves in what we know and what the Holy Spirit reveals about Himself through the Word, what He teaches us and shows us, and we make an intentional step to not try to overinterpret beyond what we're what we're told. So, if you got a Bible or a Bible app, we are going to be in Luke chapter eleven, starting in verse one. Last week, Pastor Rick started us off in the series on the Holy Spirit, talking about who the Holy Spirit is. Real light, easy sermon there to just address one of the biggest parts of who God is. Um, so he did that. Now that the foundation is set with who the Holy Spirit is, our focus is going to shift a little bit to what the Holy Spirit does. And one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit does is he helps us pray. Oh, that's why you started talking about prayer. Yep. See, that's the thing that we have a struggle with. knowing how to pray, praying well, praying effectively, right? And if you've ever felt like just lost, like you don't really know or have confidence in doing it, the one thing I want you to hear right now is that you are not alone. Prayer doesn't just come naturally. A lot of times we think that and we act kind of like it does, like I'm just going to wake up one day and when I'm praying for lunch at work, 17 people around me are going to get saved and it's just like, whoa, look at how good I am at praying. (laughs) Prayer is like learning a language. It takes time, practice, and consistent use to get good at it. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Okay, so if you're sitting here and you're like, when I pray, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know how it's supposed to work. I kind of feel lost, like I'm not doing a very good job. And you kind of beat yourself up about it or you feel guilty because you don't think you're as good at praying as you should be. Here's what I want you to know. The disciples... Who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who saw Jesus perform miracles, who listened to his teachings, who got to have conversations with him. Like the disciples actually, for three and a half years, they got to be like, hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? We don't have most of that here, but they got to ask whatever questions they wanted to Jesus. They're in the same boat. So don't be too hard on yourself. When Jesus goes up to pray, it comes back to like, hey, uh, Jesus, I'm asking for a friend, but can you, uh, can you teach us how to do that? Because like I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I know, but they don't know. So can you just maybe for their sake help us teach them how to pray? Because what they were doing at the time was formal memorized recitation." And there's nothing innately wrong with that. But even then, they kind of like, feel like we're missing something here. What you're doing seems really cool. What we're doing kind of not working for us. Teach us. And so here's how Jesus answers them. Verse 2. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You have to do that before you say it, by the way. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Let me translate that for you. If you go to your friend's house in the middle of the night, knock on the door and ask him for bread, the reason your friend gives you bread is not because he's your friend, it's because he wants you to go away in the middle of the night. For everyone who asks receives And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is one of those texts that we love to take out of context, to misquote, to make all these declarations about, because Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Well, I got my Powerball numbers here calling on the promise. I'm asking, winner, winner, chicken dinner, let's go right? I want to, God, fix this problem in my life, take care of this burden, give me this thing, deal with this thing. We act at times like prayer is this blank check that we have to ask God for whatever we want, and then there's an expectation that, well, because he says, ask and you receive, I've asked, now I should receive. That's what it means, right? Uh, No. Here's how it continues. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Look at the examples that Jesus uses. If you're the parent and your child comes to you asking for a fish or egg, that's food. That's something that they need. They're not asking for a BMW. They're not asking for something stupid. They're asking for food. Which of you is going to give them a snake or scorpion? Something that can cause them harm or kill them. Is that anybody? Is that your parenting style? Like my kid, when he gets hungry, I throw him in a pit with snakes and tell him, figure it out because life is tough. No? That's not, okay. It's like the opposite of gentle parenting. What he's saying is when we make these asks in this context, what he's layering it out for is not just you can ask me for whatever you want. I'm just going to give you whatever ridiculous thing that you want. I'm going to give you what you ask for so that you can worship and focus on that thing instead of me. What he's saying is I'm not playing hide and seek with you. What Jesus is promising here is that not only is he a good, is God a good Father who gives us what we need and also doesn't give us what will cause us harm, what he's saying is, if you look for me, you'll find me. If you're seeking me, you're going to get me. If you come to my door and knock, I will open it for you. Because the nature of the promise that is being made here about ask and seek and knock is about the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is the reason we don't have more of the Holy Spirit, see more of the Holy Spirit, experience more of the Holy Spirit at work in and around us is because we don't ask, we don't seek, and we don't bullishly go to the door of his house and knock, saying, hey, can I have more of that Holy Spirit? So the the, the first part of this section is known as the Lord's Prayer. It's also referenced in Matthew. And growing up in church is really fun because you hear these texts a lot. And when they teach about it, what they do is they turn it into a formula. Okay, so Jesus is teaching us here, guys, the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus teaching us what to pray. And in order to remember it, what we want to do to make sure that you've got the formula down is we're going to give it an acronym because what doesn't get better in life when you have an acronym for it? We're going to call it Acts, not like the choppy thing, but like the book of the Bible. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Then we're going to teach that to kids, like the five-year-old's like, oh, supplication, that's the thing that I was, sure. Like, I'm a grown man, I'm not entirely sure what supplication means. We take the prayer that Jesus prays, and we turn it into a ritual formula. Here's what to pray. Because we want to program our little robo brains with zeros and ones so that we can pray without having to think about what we're saying. So that we can follow the right ritual, check the right box. And the most amazing thing about it is that when we do that, we're using the prayer that Jesus modeled to do the very thing that Jesus was teaching us how to not do. Are all of these elements important in prayer? Absolutely. Prayer should always begin with a recognition of who God is in His wonderful glory. We should confess to God. We should thank God and praise Him for all He does. We should be grateful and submit and surrender ourselves to Him because Jesus doesn't just pray about the will of God, He also submits Himself to the will of God. We should do those things, but it can't be a formula. Because that's what Jesus was getting us away from. See, one of the things that makes it so challenging when we pray is we tend to fall into a couple of different areas. First is kind of what Jesus points out is we can turn prayer into a formula to try to get what we want. If you frame it right, if you say it right, if you put the magic words together, it's like rubbing a genie's lamp and then God's going to have to grant your wishes. And a lot of times... If we look at the course of our prayer life, a majority of what we pray for is us asking God to do things for us, to take away the consequences of sin, to make our life here a little bit more like heaven, or to give us things that we can value in a- ahead of him. If the reason that you pray If the focus and majority of your prayer is to go to God to ask Him for things, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we really love God? Or are we just trying to use God to love ourselves? The second pitfall we tend to fall into is that prayer is not just complaining. It can start there. That's fine. We did the whole study through Habakkuk, looking at, man, it's important to be real with God, to bring your concerns and your frustrations, and the things that you're wrestling with to God in honesty and in openness. It is absolutely okay to begin with complaint. Read the Psalms. That's a big portion of a lot of them. It's okay to start there. It's just not okay to stay there. See, Jesus invites us to bring our concerns, to bring our worries, to bring our burdens to him and to lay them at his feet. And here's the most important part, to leave them there. Prayer is not just complaining to Jesus and then taking your complaints and going on your merry way. It's laying those complaints at the feet of Jesus, leaving them at the feet of Jesus and entrusting the burdens and concerns of your life to him. Thirdly, prayer... Is not a place to confess other people's sin. Sorry, Bible studies, prayer meetings, and open prayer request times. Gossip is still gossip, even if you say, Can we pray for this person beforehand? Prayer is not an excuse to confess what is not yours to confess. It's not an excuse to share what is not yours to share. Doesn't mean you can't pray for people, doesn't mean we can't ask for things for people. What it means is it doesn't stop being gossip just because it's a prayer request. You see, what all these things kind of have in common is that they're all essentially centered in us. What we want, how we feel, what we think should happen in the life of that other person. When the key to effective prayer is recognizing that prayer isn't about us. If you look at the prayer that Jesus prays, especially Matthew's version of it, there's one word that stands out very clearly. Your your name, your kingdom, your will. The prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray begins with God. It is built on the holiness and the glory of God, focused on the holiness and the glory of God. and So everything that we bring into prayer, everything that comes through prayer is meant to be built under that umbrella. When we share things with God, it's about His glory and His holiness. When we ask God for things, it's about His glory and His holiness. When we make things known, when we thank Him. It's about His holiness and His glory because the purpose of prayer is to change our focus From our comfort to his kingdom. Prayer is about God. And one of the reasons we struggle so much with it is that sin brings separation. When we recognize how holy, how big, how good God is, the idea of going before him is intimidating. It's scary. And when you consider that for most of human history, we didn't have the right or the ability to do so. Because sin created this chasm between us and God. That even when you look at the Old Testament, while God dwelled among his people, he was not in and amongst them. He dwelled in the temple, in the most holy place, separated from the nation. And the only once a year, only the high priest, and only for the express purpose of offering sacrifices to atone or to delay God's wrath against sin. That was the only time you got to enter his presence. The rest is divide. The rest is separation. Because of sin, we did not have the access. And many of you grew up with a religious experience that reinforced that exact idea. You don't have the right to talk to God. You don't get to go before him. You need somebody to do that for you. It's a little bit right and a whole lot of wrong. The part that they get right is that we do need somebody to go to God for us. The part that they've completely missed is that we already have that. Jesus is our high priest who sits in the throne room of God with God. He is already playing that role. He's already being that priest. You don't need another person. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need some super spiritual person so that God will hear your prayers. Because let me tell you something. God is not like... Sometimes people say things like, look, you got to understand, like, God is not more inclined to hear my prayer because I stand up here than he is to hear yours. If you belong to Jesus, you have access. If you belong to Jesus, your prayers go to God. You don't need someone else to usher them in more effectively. Because Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for sin. To bridge the gap, the divide that existed between us and God. Jesus died on the cross and the curtain was torn. The separation between us and God was put to an end. And now where we hadn't had access, we do have access. We can go before him. We can address him because through Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin, but now adopted as children of God. And so when Jesus was here, it was God with us and then he ascends into heaven and he sends his spirit and now it is God in in us, and the fundamental approach that we have to God is transformed by the, present of the, the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. How does that work? I'm so glad you asked. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. If you entered into the throne room of a king to make a request and you knew that if the king was displeased with what you said, he had the right to have you executed, you're probably not going to go in there very lightly, are you? You're going to weigh the cost of every request, of every word, the risk-reward of, is this really worth losing my head over? I might just not go at all. And you're not going to be looking for opportunities to go into the throne room. You're going to be looking for reasons to stay out of the throne room because there's a sense of fear and intimidation around it. And there's one single question that changes that entire perspective. What if the king is your dad. Rowan's about to turn five. He knows I have power and authority over him. He is not afraid to ask me for things. He's not afraid of that at all. He wants something, he just blurts it out. Dad, I want this. Because what he looks at is not the power dynamic. He's not focused on I have control and I have authority. He's focused on the relationship dynamic that I am his father. And that relationship changes the entire dynamic of how we interact. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we are children of God he is the proof the seal of our adoption he declares and testifies that is to speak with legal authority that we are the children of God and our approach and our confidence in going before God is transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives Prayer is transformed. Because when you pray, you're not speaking just to some impersonal sovereign power. You're a child talking to their father. Prayer is as simple as just having a conversation with your dad. And it is as complex as the realigning of every view, value, and belief that you hold to align it with the desire and view of your Father. God is the potter. We are the clay. Prayer is the place where we bring the clay of our lives to God. And the Holy Spirit is the wheel upon which God works that clay to mold and shape us into His image. Our belonging to Jesus, work of the Holy Spirit. Our identity in Jesus, work of the Holy Spirit. Our growth, work of the Holy Spirit. Our ability to come before God and to speak to Him as our Father, work of the Holy Spirit at every layer, in every way. It is built and centered around the work of the Holy Spirit. And for as intimidating and challenging as prayer can be, we have this glorious promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. The great peace and confidence that we have in prayer is that when you go to God, you don't go alone. you have a counselor a helper a guide you don't have to know what to say because the holy spirit can speak for you you don't have to have all the right words because the holy spirit has words can express what you in your even with your most eloquent of speech could never hope to express you don't have to fear or be insecure or not have confidence in what you're doing because you're not the one that has to do it. It is not on you to be the only person communicating. You have a counselor who speaks for you on your behalf. This is one of the weirdest things. So I, you know, we, from time to time we do like relationship counseling. And couples will come in and they got issues and things that they need help with. And we'll sit down. And what happens most of the time is they start talking. And what's weird to me, because I thought it wouldn't work this way, is that they start sharing things when I'm in the room that they didn't share when it was just the two of them. And I'm like, wouldn't it just be easier for the two of you to talk without some random dude just sitting here, like, hi? But they open up and they share things with their spouse because there's someone else in the room. Because that other person gives them a sense of peace, a sense of comfort. To know that there's somebody in the process, someone else there who can help, who can keep things from getting out of hand, who can help communicate what they're trying to say, who can help bridge the gap that exists between them. Do you know what I'm doing in those rooms? I'm not teaching. I'm not providing some deep, insightful advice. I don't, not, I'm too dumb to have deep, insightful advice. What I'm doing is translating. Translating. I'm helping her understand how he feels in a way that he doesn't know how to express. I'm helping him hear what she's trying to say but isn't actually saying because she's kind of sometimes using different words than maybe he knows how to hear. And any growth, any healing, any development that happens over the course of that discussion is not because I had great advice, it's because they had a translator. And having a translator gave them a sense of comfort that they could open up and share the things that they'd been hoarding, share the things that had been buried deep down, share the things that they were too scared to say when it was just the two of them. It gave them a sense of freedom to be real and to express what needed expressed so that they can heal and move through it. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you. He speaks when you don't know what to say. He translates when you don't have the right words. He speaks when you don't have the words at all. So you don't have to be intimidated to go to your Father. You don't have to be scared to walk in His presence because the Holy Spirit walks alongside you, holding your hand in, knows what you need, knows what you desire, and knows how to say it for you. And the more you lean into that, the easier and easier it becomes to pray. You ever listen to kids learn to talk? Or like go around someone else's kid when they're starting the talking process. They interrupt you and they're like, got a You're like, "That kid's speaking in tongues." I don't know. That, that makes sense to me. Those are cool sounds, man. I don't know what to do with it. And the parents like, "Oh yeah, they said this." And you're like, "How did you get that from Giga Burger?" Remember when Rowan, when Rowan was literally, he was gonna say, "Up cop cop." Meant helicopter. We only knew that because he pointed at it when he said it. We're like, oh, yep. But you know what happened? As he continued to talk, the gap between what he was trying to say and what he was saying got smaller. Up, cop, cop, the helicopter became hand sanitizer to hand sanitizer, which I still actually think that one's better. And then jumbled sounds become words, words become sentences. Sentences become thoughts. And those thoughts become layered, deeper, and more expressive. That's how we all learn to communicate in this world. That's how we pray. So you can sit here and be like, man, I just, I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. My prayers are just ga-ga-go-go. Okay. So you're in the infancy stage of your prayer life. Keep doing it. And eventually, those sounds will become words. And the more you do it, those words will become thoughts, sentences, conversations that will grow you and mature you in your relationship with your Father. The Holy Spirit is our counselor and guide who helps us pray. John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Prayer is one of the primary ways in which we know and are known by God. And so God, in his grace, in his mercy, doesn't just leave us to that, but he sends his spirit to guide us that we might know and be known by him through prayer thanks to the work of the Holy Spirit growing us maturing us and speaking to God for us when we don't know what to say God gave us the tools to have life with him that like a child with their parent we're not running to him out of fear we're not running to him out of concern we're running to him out of comfort Out of peace, knowing when the world around us is crazy, dad's the safe place. When there's dangers and threats, dad's the place you go for protection. The Holy Spirit allows us to build that relationship with God. And I'll tell you this right now your prayer may not always change your situation in life, but it will always change you in your situation and when we pray the way Jesus taught us to pray trusting in and leaning on the Holy Spirit our focus shifts to Jesus our hearts grow in Jesus our relationship builds with Jesus And what we experience in that moment is a growth in our understanding, a growth in our peace and our joy and the comfort that we know that even when the world around us rages, even when the storms are erupting all around us, we are not afraid of them because when we can go to the presence of an almighty God who calms storms with a word, we know we have nothing to fear. Normally, this is the point I would go, okay, let's pray. And then you'd sit and listen while I pray. I want to do something a little differently. I'm going to give we're going to give you just a minute for you to pray. For you to take this time and to pray to your Father and to ask Him. Like if you struggle with prayer, God, ask Him for more of that spirit that He can guide you. Ask Him for more of that translator and counselor who can fill you and give you that comfort and confidence. If you want to pray asking God for something that's going on in your life and just and confess and go with what's the issue that you have, then pray for that. If you want to pray for the kingdom and for the advancement of God's work, pray for that. If you want to pray for whatever it is that God lays on your heart to pray. I'm going to open us up. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to open it up. And I just want you to take a minute to seek God, to share with your Father, to pray to Him. And then the worship team will lead us in the worship of the Almighty God.